I'm Sherry Greco-Rikus, co-founder of Rappaport Rikus Capital Management. Welcome to the Maximize Your Return on Life podcast. As an investment advisor, I guide clients to reflect upon their core values as they make major life decisions. I will be interviewing real people with real stories who have embraced this approach to achieve success. I hope their stories will inspire you to maximize your return on life. I'm so excited to kick off my first podcast. This has been a new and long journey for me, but I promise we're going to have lots of fun and we're going to meet real people with real stories. But this being my first of what will I hope be many, many podcasts in which I ask the questions, I thought it's only fair if I put myself in the hot seat instead of running the show, I'm going to kick back and let my business partner, Dave Rappaport, interview me. Dave and I started our firm 17 years ago. We go way, way back. We actually met in college. He is our chief investment officer. And more than that, he has been a great friend, a great partner, a great sounding board for almost every idea that I've had. And believe me, I have a lot of them. He's helped me with writing my book, Maximize Your Return on Life, my blogs, this podcast, really every idea I've had. So I think it's a great choice to help our listeners learn my story. With Dave, I'm not sure what you wanna ask me, but I'm saying anything is fair game. But remember, we do need to continue to work together. So please keep that in mind with some of your questions. So now I will turn it over to Dave. Yeah, Sherry, I am thrilled to interview you. Congratulations on starting the podcast. I do think it's going to be a, a lot of fun. And as you say, I think, you know, you surround yourself with so many interesting people, successful people, and uh, to be able to have them tell their stories and see what we can learn from them. I think that's going to be phenomenal. And Sherry, you mentioned that I have been kind of the sounding board for uh, a lot of your ideas on the book, blogs, and, and the podcast, and, and ideas about the business. And I think it's only fair to say that every time you know you come to me with a new idea, and that's probably three or four or five a day, you know my initial uh, reaction is always say, Sherry, that's a great idea. That's a great idea. Let's think about that. And we'll see if you come back to me the next day with the same idea. I'll probably say, yeah, that's a great idea. And it's really only until like the third or fourth time I'm like, yeah, you know, this one's serious. I think we really do need to look at it. And, and you know, sure, I've never come across somebody whose mind is just constantly spinning the way yours is. All kinds of great ideas uh, always going. And I think that that energy has been so important to our success as a firm. Anyways, I'm delighted. Well, to, Dave, uh, I actually learned something new on this podcast. Maybe I'll come to you with the ideas three times in the same day. So maybe <laughs> we'll get them done a little earlier. Now you told me your secret, <laughs> but you're probably going to up me to four now, right? Yeah. <laughs> now that I know that. Absolutely. So Sherry, I want to start out talking a little bit about your background. And I think one of the most interesting things that I have learned uh, about you, and I look at you, you're just a very successful businesswoman. And your specialty is helping people with financial advice. But if you go back to when you were much younger, your family had some financial stresses. And I th think that really impacted uh, why you went into this business and how you deal with clients in terms of uh, offering financial advice. So 
Can you talk a little bit about some of the money issues that your family faced years and years ago and what effect that that had on you? My story starts really with my parents and my mom. I call her the closer. And I also think that she's a very strong woman. And I'll explain where we come up with the closer in just a moment. But when I was eight years old and my mom was very young too, my father passed away of lung cancer pretty suddenly. Uh, Back then there weren't a lot of treatments and even today there aren't a lot of treatments for lung cancer. My dad had a small life insurance policy. He was very young in his career. He had just started his accounting firm. And his partner was actually amazing to our family. I know he gave my mom as much as he could provide, but still it was very difficult for my mom. I saw her working. She also had a young baby. My brother was only about four months old. And my mom worked nights um, doing surveys on products just to make ends meet. But she never really let me know about the stress. But as I get older, I realize what stress she must have been under. So that was very difficult. She met my dad when she was 16 and married him at 20. First person she dated, she married him. After my dad passed away a few years later, my mom got fixed up with Dante Greco, who uh, was a banker. He had started the Bank of Highwood. Uh, He was the second person she dated. And about Three years later, she married him. So two dates, two husbands. Uh, But Dante was uh, an unbelievable role model. We'll probably talk a little bit about him later. But he pretty much raised me. And when I was young, he had me work at the bank. And I was teller. I'd work in the loan department. And there, I also saw the stress that money had on people's lives. I saw people that you know, needed um, to pay bills and they were overdrawn and they would have tears in their eyes because they needed money for their account or they wanted to pay for college for their kids and they had to take a home equity loan out. And I realized that these people could have been helped a lot earlier. I love numbers. I love people and I loved helping people. So I talked to my dad. I wanted to go into the banking business, but he said, no, get your accounting degree, be a CPA you'll be a much better banker. So I went to Illinois, got my CPA, and then came back, worked at Arthur Anderson, which I worked with Dave. That's the second time Dave and I met. We met in college, and then we met again at Arthur Anderson. And then shortly, about three years later, I went into the banking business with my dad and continued to see the stress on these clients' faces. And so I knew that this was my calling and that banking and helping people. Unfortunately, my dad passed away. We had sold the bank group. So uh, we had had four mergers in three years. I ended up being president of the five banks my dad started. He was president emeritus and we had a great ride together. I ultimately became the head of private banking for US Bank. And my dad, I call him my dad because he adopted me. He passed away suddenly of leukemia. So I was helping my mom at this point. I was a little older, but helping my mom with the bills and the finances. And I saw again, the stress a a bit on my mom. And a few years later, my mom got fixed up again. Third person she dated. She ended up marrying Sam Eckstein. They've been married over 20 years, but I've continued to help my mom. And what I've realized is it's not unique. A lot of women like my mom are put in a situation where they've never handled the money. And so I've kind of spent my career really empowering women, especially, but really everyone on financial education, trying to take the stress out of money and really trying to make it so that they can have peace of mind uh, with their finances. 
And most recently, I have young adult children, and I see that they really don't learn it in school. So I've kind of expanded the education process to young adults as well. So I know that was a long history. And let me just go back to why we call my mom the closer. Three dates, three husbands. So mom, if you're listening, uh, you're the closer out there. Oh, that's fantastic. And, and Sherry, really just an amazing story of your upbringing. And so I do want to go back to Dante Greco because you do talk a lot uh, about him. And in the book, uh, you mentioned a number of stories and, and, and how he was such an influence on you. And I think one of the stories that really I found remarkable was how when he started, I think it was, perhaps it was the Bank of Highwood, uh, he would go door to door talking to people in the community about the bank and seeing if they wanted to participate and buy stock in the bank. So can you talk a little bit about what that taught you? Yeah, he started the Bank of Highwood in the 1960s, but it was later on when he started New Century Bank. It was another bank, yes. And um, I was probably 12 or 13, and my pay was a lunch and pizza with my dad. (laughs) But we went uh, door-to-door selling stock for the new bank, which was up in Mundelein. It was pretty much farm town back then. And a lot of times the door would close and people wouldn't even listen to him. And I'd say, doesn't that upset you? And he said, you know, with life, you know, before you get yeses, you need a certain amount of no's. So I think the no's are good. I figure with four or five no's, I'll get one yes. So I need to get these no's to get yeses. So that was probably my first experience that no's are okay. You have to put yourself out there. And he taught me that at a very early age. And I'm starting to remember a few other things. When I was in high school, he used to give me little business cards. And if I heard of the cafeteria that one of my friend's parents was buying a car, I would call my dad or I would give the card to my friend and say, have your parents call my dad for a car loan. So I was as a young high schooler, I was trying to bring a business. But, um, you know, I just grew up with a dad that we'd go to restaurants and people would come to our table and say, hey, I'm going to see you tomorrow, Dante, I need some money or you know, he just was always giving and and people would come to our table. Restaurant owners would have tears in their eyes because he helped them start the restaurant or he helped one of their kids with starting their business. So I got a lot of learning just by watching my dad. And that's, you know, I I never got my MBA, but I always say I got the Dante Greco MBA was probably more valuable. A fantastic MBA. So sure, you mentioned You and I, we met in college. We worked together at Arthur Anderson. And then we were both working for a money management firm, a wealth management firm in Chicago. Mm -hmm. And that's when uh, we came up with the idea of starting our own firm. I remember, I think our recollections differ a little bit on how it happened, but I was in your office one day and I was saying, Sherry, there's this other professional colleague of ours, and he's starting a, a money management business working with very, very wealthy, $100 million families. What if we went over there and said, we'll start a division that's going to work with people that you know have a million dollars or more to invest or something like that? And you looked me in the eye and said, well, why would we do that for him? Why don't we do that on our own? And immediately I thought, well, that's a great idea. Let's do it. And I think that was the the first of, again, many great ideas that you have had. But my question really is, you know, you have a, a, an entrepreneurial background with your dad, but 
Did you have any real worries when we decided to start the firm other than, well, you know, how well do I really know Dave Rappaport? What was going through your mind when you first said, I'm going to take a risk, I'm going to start my own firm? Well, I absolutely had no worries because when I was at Bernstein, you were always there to guide me. You had been there a little bit longer than I had been there. So you had always been my sounding board. There was only one time when we were talking about starting the business that I had a little bit of worry. And that was when we did our first business plan. And, you know, we obviously didn't want to discuss it at the office. And so you rode over to my home to drop it off and you got a ticket on the way, uh, <laughs> dropping it off. So I thought, hmm. Yeah. Where did I get that ticket, Sherry? Right in front right of Right in front house. of my house. Yeah. But actually, I'm only kidding. That, that was, uh, <laughs> I figured you were probably excited to bring the yeah. plan to me. But, you know, through the years, we've had some very fruitful discussions. We've disagreed on things. Someone once said, do you guys ever argue? I don't say we ever argue, but we do challenge each other. And we have a motto that we always make the better decision. You know, I might want to go one way. You might want to go another. We have Karen and Stephen with us. And so sometimes we all discuss it. But what I can say is whatever decision we make is always better because we've challenged each other through the years and come up with that decision. So yeah. it's been an amazing, amazing ride, Dave, and, yeah, and on so many levels. No, absolutely. And you brought up Stephen, your husband, Stephen Rikus. And Stephen joined the firm about a year after we started. Mm -hmm. And can you talk a little bit about what prompted Stephen to join the firm and what your thoughts were saying, hey, I'm going to have my husband join my business and what sort of challenges you thought that might create. And uh, I think it's been the greatest partnership. And I look at both of you as great partners and great friends, but what's it like working with your spouse day to day in your business? Yeah, well, actually, the the three of us, people get really confused. Sometimes they think you and I are married, Dave. So and <laughs> we say, say we might as well be. I say uh, I am married to both you and Stephen. Yeah. So, um, you know, when I first thought about this before you and I talked in the office for years, I would talk to Stephen. I said, you know, Stephen was doing estate planning for 15, 20 years. And I said, with your estate planning and my money management background, we should go into business together. And he said, you know, I love my wife. Why would I want to be in business with her? And then when you and I went into business, and I remember we started at a Panera because we left oh, yeah. on very good terms. We were not registered. We didn't slip, you know, ACATs under the, the doors for our sure. clients. Uh, that's transfer forms for people listening. <laughs> we kept very good relationships with our former firm. In fact, they've referred us business on things that they couldn't handle. So that's all been good. But um, we started the Panera and Stephen a couple of times would come visit us and he'd say, you guys are having so much fun. And we said, yeah, we are. And we really needed someone to run the compliance and operations and wealth transfer part of the business. So after a year, he, he started slowly. I think he came about two, three days a week and then eventually full time. And I think, you know, the partnership has been great because there's times you and Stephen kind of go one way and I go another, or you and I go one way or, you know, so it's, it's nice to have the partnership. And I think what works is that we all do what we love doing and we all enjoy doing our part of the business and we overlap a little bit, but we all have our strengths and that's what we do. And it works because I think we all have the respect for each other and it, it's just worked amazing.
It absolutely works great. And Sherry, you may remember the, the very first week Stephen started with us. I think it maybe it was the first day, maybe it was the second day. You and Stephen got into, we'll, we'll, we'll kind of call it as it is, uh, uh, you got into a big fight in the office that day. <laughs> and, and my first thought is, you know, what have I gotten myself oh into? My and what have we gotten ourselves into? Is this what it's going to be like? And, you know, that was 16 years ago. And the funny thing was, that's, that really has never happened since. It just so happens it was maybe the first or second day. And that was it. And I, I think it was over a card we were sending to his mom. And <laughs> I, he didn't like the way I, I don't know. I don't even remember what it was about. But it must have been something pretty small. But uh, I'm glad that, that you didn't leave us at that point, Dave. No. <laughs> Sherry, we're going to stay on, on your family. One of the, the pleasures I've had in working with you is getting to know your family and your two wonderful daughters who you have raised while working crazy hours and, and running this business. What's your secret to doing that? Well, first of all, if, if you love what you do, and I've always loved this business, love working at the firm, it, it doesn't feel as stressful and you know it allows you to be with your family. But I think because we started the firm, it did allow a little more flexibility. It's, I call it working hard, playing hard. So we always work hard, but we could carve out time to be with our kids. And I think that that's most important. I've also tried through the years to include my kids as, as part of my work. So one thing I did was when they were younger, I set up an incentive plan. So for every new client that I brought in, they would get a $5 Dave and Buster's card. And we had a big chart in the kitchen and, you know, one quarter I hadn't brought in as much business. And my daughter who was like six years old at the time looked up and said, mom, you haven't brought business. We don't have a Dave and Buster's card. And then I went to work and my <laughs> boss is like, you haven't brought in business. And I'm like, I don't know what was more stressful, my six-year-old or my boss, but, but they've uh, included in, you know, for the long time, I was the mom that might be late with dinner, but now they come to me with their financial questions. Their friends come to me. We do these webinars. I think they enjoy seeing them. So, you know, I think including them has, has been very beneficial. But the other thing is you just can't take it so seriously as a working mom. There's going to be times that you're not a perfectionist. And, you know, one example, I remember it was Heritage Day at my daughter's school. I didn't read the pamphlet well enough. I stopped at Jewel and got potato salad. And then they had a little plaque and it said the Rikus family tradition. And it was potato salad from Jewel. And people still laugh <laughs> yeah, about that, that bad, today. Not that bad and it, it's not bad. At, well, that was our tradition, yeah. picking things up. But I was fortunate that I had the same nanny or a person for our family for 16 years. And she ran our house and the kids loved her. And, you know, it was a great relationship. So I, I think you just have to have a little humor. And the last thing I'll say is there's no such thing as balance. There's going to be times where work requires you to work more hours. There's times that there's things with your family that require you to be away. But if you try to balance every day and every month and every week, you, you're never going to be fully balanced and you're going to lose. So just give yourself you know, a little leeway. So if work is really busy one month, 
then maybe you spend the 60, 70 hours a week and don't feel guilty or horrible. Or if there's something going on with one of your children, maybe you don't work quite as much, but, but your work will always be there. You'll get your job done. And that's really been the secret. Well, you've got two uh, fantastic kids. So I think that is the proof. So Sherry, I'm going to switch gears a little bit. And I want to talk about the concept of maximizing your return on life. It's the name of your book. It's the name of this podcast. It's also what we call our approach to financial planning and investment management. So can you talk a little bit about how the concept of maximizing your return on life came about? Sure. Um, Probably about five years ago, there was a women's conference through Dimensional Fund Advisors, which is the firm that uh, we partner with to manage money for our clients. And they had a woman investing seminar, and I went down to their headquarters. And one of the programs was all about values. And it was about a two-hour program, and they told us to dress comfortably they had a candle lit. We went in the room and I'm thinking, you know, I've been to all these things before, but I'll go with the program. Maybe I can learn something. And we sat in the room and, and everyone talked about who they were. And then they passed out a list of the values and they just said, try to look at the values and come up with what you think are your top five values. And I, again, I went with the program and I came up with the five values, family, community, Adventure was one. That was one that I hadn't really thought about. Those were kind of the top three. And when I started thinking about it, I started thinking about my life. And I was in the midst of running a capital campaign for my synagogue. And I was very involved um, with the community. And I started thinking, you know, that was my values, philanthropy, community. Um, My family had seen me do this. And all of a sudden it clicked. And I said, you know, I'm making my life decisions based on my values. And I never even took the time to reflect upon my values. And then I started thinking of our financial industry. And it's all about maximizing returns. You know, we have the best portfolio management, we can pick the best stocks, but no one talks about the values and no one talks about really how we can make people's lives better. So uh, I came back from this seminar and I started a blog and I, you know, was talking and I actually did a mini seminar for the whole firm. Dave, you were a little skeptical. My husband was skeptical, (laughs) but at the end of the day, uh, health was one of my other values. Everyone started thinking, oh my gosh, I have these values and I hadn't thought about it. In fact, I've done this with clients. So one of them said they spent more time picking the color of their car than their values. So uh, you and I talked a lot and we said, what if we incorporated this values into our financial planning. So instead of just, when do you want to retire? Asking more probing questions. How do you want to retire? How do you want to live your life? Are there people that you'd like to help? Do you want to live in an urban setting or a country setting? What are you going to do about your health? What's going to maximize your return on life, not just your returns? And that's kind of how it was born. And I get people all the time now, we've had a client who daughter had a baby and she was sleeping on the couch and it wasn't good for anyone. And we said, you know, you can afford to go to a hotel room. And she now goes to a hotel room a couple blocks away, walks over to the daughter, everyone's happy. And she'll text me, you know, I maximized my return on life today. And, you know, it could be small. I have a client that loves to cook, but hates to prep vegetables. She now, you know, she says, how can I buy 
chopped onions for $2 when I could buy an onion for 50 cents. She now buys the chopped onions <laughs> and she cooks and she says, you know, I maximize my return on life. So we, you know, we have limited resources. We have limited time and limited money. And how are you going to spend those resources? And it really comes down to your values. And that's really a lot of what my book's about and a lot of about how we work with clients. And I think, Sherry, that's one of the exciting things about this podcast is you're going to be talking to, like you say, real people, hear their real stories about how they have maximized their return on life. And that leads me to my next question. What does maximizing your return on life mean to you personally? How do you go about maximizing your return on life? Well, I, you know, it goes back to the values. So I kind of use that as my guide now. And just some things that I've changed. Um, there's a chapter in the book that I used to be overprogrammed. My daughter tore her ACL probably about four years ago. She came home for ACL surgery and the doctor said she'd be fine and, and she'd go back to school. Well, she was in a lot of pain. So I ended up flying back with her and staying the week. So I had to cancel all of the appointments I had. And I didn't realize how I said, oh, I must be this week. I was so busy. And then I looked at the next week and the next week and the next week. And I had just really been overextending myself. So I really made a concerted effort. I was on like four boards. I decided to limit myself to one board and obviously give time and money to the other boards. And I've learned to say no. Sometimes I was always a yes person, but sometimes saying yes is saying no to something in the future. So I've learned to think about if I'm staying yes, is, it, is this in line with my values and do I have time to do that? So that's probably one of the biggest changes I made. Again, it was very therapeutic writing this book, but really maximizing my time. Um, I think I've always maximized um, my return on my money as far as looking at my values and spending. But one value that came up, I said in the seminar was adventure. And I used to love to do adventurous vacations. And we really had done one in a while. So several years ago, before the pandemic, we all went to Costa Rica and I was zip lining and rappelling off mountains and whitewater rafting. And I'm like, wow, this is great. So I've decided that a lot of my vacations will be adventure. And it also highlighted some of my commitment to my charitable endeavors, my synagogue and things like that, because this is what I value. So I think that I live the life of maximizing my return on life. And I hope that through this podcast, we will inspire you to do that and our listeners, because I'll be interviewing a lot of people that are just like you. You know, they're not the famous people we read about. They're people just like you that have real stories and hopefully that you will be inspired and make some changes in your life. And Sherry, I think a lot of the people that you do plan on interviewing are good friends. And I don't know that I've ever come across somebody who has so many different circles of friends, you know, and you keep in touch with people from childhood and college and, and business associates and from your various philanthropies and people you play tennis with. And what is your key to maintaining all of those strong friendships? Well, you know, everyone's different, but I've realized through my life, I get energy around people. So I love being around people. There's some people that it like zaps energy. I'm just the opposite. And a lot of my friends, you know, when they were younger, they'd collect things, they collect dolls, they 
buy jewelry or whatever was their passion. But I realized in life, my passion is people. I just love talking to people. I love hearing their stories. And I think that's why I surround myself with a lot of friends. And you also realize you have friends from different areas of your life and different needs. I have friends from college. I have friends that I talk about balancing work life. I have friends that I work out with that we talk about, you know, fitness. So, you know, I just love people. I love my friends. I've been so fortunate that I've been surrounded by amazing friends. And you really realize that when, you know, life doesn't always go in the way that you expect. It's your friends that are there. And thank you to my friends. If you're listening, you've been there for us and I hopefully I'm there for you and it's a two-way street. So I guess there's no secret. I just think you be yourself and, you know, you surround yourself with people that you enjoy being with. And I could see that it just gives you a lot of energy. So Sherry, I do want to bring up something that, that does kind of bother me and it's right there on our website. You're a tremendous fan of Barry Manilow. Really, Sherry? Barry Manilow? Why? Well, I guess you could call me a fanilow. <laughs> I have been a Barry Man. I think I've seen Barry Manilow 20, 25 times. I don't know. When I was younger, his music just talked to me. My mom was a huge Barry Manilow fan. So, uh, you know, growing up, I would hear that music. Uh, my brother still isn't happy with me, but I turned him on. So he's a big Barry Manilow fan. Uh, and his friends always laugh about that. But there was uh, a very Barry Christmas right before the pandemic. We we went to go see that. My mom, my brother and I, and we had like third row seats. So we were crying and singing and laughing. And I just love his music. And I know there's a few secret Barry Manilow fans that are probably listening. So don't be <laughs> embarrassed. I would go to Barry Manilow over the dead anytime, Dave. I, I know that would not be your first choice, but just something I've had to, to get over. If you don't play it safe, Dave, I may be streaming some Barry Manilow through the last year. So. <laughs> oh no. <laughs> so you've been kind on this on this podcast. So I don't think I have to funneling it through your the walls here. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. So Sherry, what advice? would you give to your younger self kind of looking back to uh, Sherry Rikus, perhaps as, you know, just having graduated college, starting out her business career, knowing now all the experiences that you have been through, what would you tell that younger self? I think uh, when I got out of college, I was just really trying to go up the ladder. I was just kind of running, 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 making money, running, trying to advance my career. There was really no thought in that. You know, when I made money, I spent the money. Oh, I worked so hard. I, you know, worked 60 hours a week. I deserve to treat myself. And there was no plan. And I think that now as I've gotten older and I've spent a lot of time working with clients and articulating their values, I think even at an early age, I wish I would have known my values or at least understood them better and what was important and really use those values to guide the decisions instead of, you know, using my W-2 as a report card on, on how much money I made and, and just keep moving up the ladder and, and sometimes maybe taking a breath and using those values to make life decisions. I think that would have been very valuable. It's never too late. I'm doing that now. I try to talk to my kids about it and I, I hear their talk. You know, one of my daughters loves Broadway and 
She says that that's one of the things she loves. So she's allocating money to that. The other's a skier and she allocates money to that. So I feel a little sense of pride that maybe they're thinking about that a little earlier than I did. So I think that would be my advice to people listening on the podcast. On our website, on rrcapital.com, there's a blog I wrote about values. It's got the whole list of values. I encourage you to go on and take that test and look and figure out what your values and look at your spending. Are you really spending in line with your values? Are you spending your time in line with your values? And also remember that values change over time. So you might need to revisit that list, but use it as a guide. And I hope the younger listeners will do that as well. Oh, Sherry, that's great perspective. So Sherry, this has been a lot of fun. And the next podcast, you're going to be sitting in in this chair interviewing some very interesting guests. And I hope you've had fun as well. Just listening to you, it, it always gets my mind working, thinking about how I can maximize my return on life. So Sherry, thanks so much. How are you going to maximize your return on life, Dave? I'm going to start by making sure how I spend my time and how I spend my money is much more in line with my values. And it's a thought process that I've started and that I certainly will continue to go through. Yeah. And, and one thing I've noticed, and I've, I've mentioned this in some of the blogs, is sometimes to maximize your return on life, look at some of the hobbies or activities you enjoyed when you were younger. And I've recently started playing tennis. And I know Dave, he doesn't like to brag, but he's in a band and he <laughs> loves music. And I think that that gives you a lot of joy as well. And so again, I'll encourage the listeners here. If was there an activity or something you just loved doing when you were younger and you stopped doing it, maybe it's time to do it again. It's been great fun for me. Our, our goal as a band, one day we want to open for the Rolling Stones. I don't know if we'll get there, but uh, it really has been a lot of fun for me. Sherry, thank you so much. And I've been a groupie, Dave. I've been coming to your <laughs> concerts. So I appreciate that. Yeah, and you've been a great, great role model, Dave. Uh, you made it look so easy interviewing me. And if you want to learn more about the podcast, you could go to MaximizeYourReturnOnLife.com. And our firm, Dave and I co-founded Rappaport Rikus Capital Management. Our goal is to help our clients maximize their return on life. If you'd like to maximize your return on life, please visit rrcapital.com and we'd love to talk to you. So here's to a long future with Maximize Your Return on Life podcast. And thank you all for listening.